Oh, good morning. It's, uh, it's so great to see uh, and hear from Ben. Ben and Charity were at Damascus French Church when we were there for one year. Uh, we had brought them on staff for, to be missionaries in training. And we, uh, we trained them, spent time with them. We're part of the prayer team that sent them. And this is a little old. We actually sent them. They left for Thailand August 2012, the same month that Sheila and I left to come here. And so uh, there's always a special memory in that as we celebrate together in their ministry with uh, their daughters, Lydia and, and uh, Evelyn. Uh, great to be here. But, if, you know, if, if Ben was here today and if he was sharing, well, if, if he was here today, we would have started off probably back in my office. And Ben would have said, so do you want me to say something? <laughs> you know, it's a monotone kind of, so you want me to say something? You want me to talk about what we do? <laughs> and I would have said to Ben, well, you could, but is charity available? <laughs> she's bubbly, and she's, she tells stories, and she's, she's, she's just got that. You know, but, but Ben is so perfect for that work, to be trudging through those jungles and to be riding that motorcycle and doing the work that he does with a lot of people there in, in uh, Thailand. But it's, you know, God gives us all gifts and different gifts, and, and sometimes you just got to figure out where they fit in and know what to do and when to do and who to speak and who not to speak. And sometimes you notice that very quickly in people. You find out very quickly if somebody's gifted or not. I remember, and this is one of the joys of a parent, is, 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 is sometimes to coach your children in, in, in sports as they're growing up. And I remember when my, our son Marcus was, I don't know, somewhere between here and here maybe, um, you, that we have what is called instructional league baseball. And it's where the coach pitches the ball to the kids because you don't want to try to, you know, you, you don't want to try to get them out. You want to let them hit the ball, you know, so the coach pitches. And, and so most of the kids were, when we do that, we're playing catch with them. And these, you normally don't stand too far away because they have trouble throwing the ball or they can't throw it straight. Well, on our little team, we had two little boys that were incredible. In fact, I did not like to play catch with them because afterwards my hand would hurt where my glove was. They, they would throw the ball and it would hit in pocket. It would sting and I'd say, back up. And we'd back up and I'd back up. And fortunately, the one played shortstop and the one played first base because the first baseman was the only one who could catch the balls that the shortstop threw. These kids were fantastic. And uh, unfortunately, the first baseman, their family moved away after, the first, after another year in, in the Pittsburgh area and, and lost track of him. But Evan, I, uh, I unfortunately with him, I had to play and coach against him for the next five or six years. <laughs> Stinking rotten kid. <laughs> But you could tell from the beginning there was something special about this kid. He had a talent. He could hit the ball. He could run. He could, do, he could field. Nothing got past him at shortstop, even when he was that little. And sure enough, as I followed his career, he went to high school, our high school there, and broke every, every record that was especially offensive record. He played center field. He could cover everything. He, had, he broke career records in hits and RBIs and, and uh, batting average and home runs. Um, I think his senior year, he hit almost 612 home runs and just was an awesome player. And went on, and I watched with great pride as he went to Kent State, and he played... Um, 
Started his freshman year in center field, and his sophomore year was one of the leaders of the team, Kent State, that went to the College World Series a few years ago. He had two hits against the University of Texas uh, in the one game that they advanced in the, in the World Series in a big upset. And so it was, and I'm sitting there thinking it was all because of my coaching. <laughs> it was all because of what I did. But sometimes, sometimes we just, you notice talent in people, don't you? You notice skills and you say, that person is good at that. And that's kind of where we are today. As we're looking at uh, someone incredibly gifted, incredibly talented. In fact, if we've been here the last few weeks, you've noticed we've been walking through Acts and we've been walking through the, the, the movement of the church starting in Jerusalem. And last week we were in the city of Damascus, Syria. Well, after... Saul was saved and became Paul. He went to Antioch in Syria and was commissioned to be a missionary and went on missionary journeys. And today we're picking up at the end of the second missionary journey. Paul's been through Asia Minor. He crossed over into Europe, was down into Greece, uh, went down into the Corinth, spent a year and a half at Corinth. And then he went over to Ephesus. Really, just as a stopover, he was headed home after the second journey. But he stopped at Ephesus just to maybe a little pit stop and drop off a few of his team members and said, I'll be back. And, uh, and while he was gone, we read what happens next in the book of Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. Now today... I'm doing something a little different. I'm reading out of the message, Eugene Peterson's interpretation and, and translation of the scripture. And hopefully this story will take on new life as you read it with me here. It says this, a man named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was a Jew born in Alexandria, Egypt, and a terrific speaker, eloquent and powerful in his preaching of the scriptures. He was well-educated in the way of the master and fiery in his enthusiasm. Apollos was accurate in everything he taught about Jesus up to a point. But, only, but he only went as far as the baptism of John. He preached with power in the meeting place. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and told him the rest of the story. When Apollos decided to go on to Achaia province, his Ephesian friends gave him their blessings and wrote a letter of recommendation for him, urging the disciples there to welcome him with open arms. The welcome paid off. Apollos turned out to be a great help to those who had become believers through God's immense generosity. He was particularly effective in public debate with the Jews as he brought out proof after convincing proof from the scriptures that Jesus was, in fact, God's Messiah. So, the, script, so the, the, the gospel has moved. It's moved from Jerusalem, and it's gone now to, to Damascus, to Antioch, and now into Asia, and it ends up here in Ephesus. And last week, we were introduced to a man who we met for the first time. His name was Ananias. Well, today, it's another man, another man who starts with a name with a letter A, and his name's Apollos. In fact, we read in chapter 18, verse 24, this, that we just read, a man named Apollos came to Ephesus. He was a Jew born in Alexandria, Egypt. Doesn't tell us a whole lot about it, about him, but we do know that he was a Jew. And he was born in Alexandria. Alexandria was, at this point, it had been a Greek province, now it's a Roman province, a great center of, as an intellectual hub. 
It was probably the second most important city in the Roman Empire behind Rome. And for some reason, we don't know why, but for some reason this man who was born in Alexandria ends up in Ephesus in Asia Minor. And Luke goes on to describe Apollos this way. You heard it. He's a Jew born of Alexandria, Egypt, a terrific speaker, eloquent, powerful in his preaching, well-educated in the ways of the master, and fiery. Something about this guy stood out. Something about this guy, people would say, he is gifted. He is gifted in his speech. He's terrific. He's eloquent. He's fiery. He's powerful. That man, that man could preach. <laughs> that man can preach. But, but, verse goes on and says this, Paul, Apollos, was accurate in everything he taught about Jesus up to a point. But he only went as far as the baptism of John. What Luke is telling us is that the knowledge of Apollos was incomplete. Now, it tells us he had been schooled. He knew the scripture but the scripture that he knew was not the scripture we know. The scripture he knew would have been the Old Testament. The scripture that he had, maybe he was there in, in, in Alexandria where the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament, much of the work had been done to translate it into Greek. And he had been studied it there. Probably been under some great teachers. But he only knew it up to a point. Now, we don't know exactly what they mean here when he says they only knew the baptism of John. We don't know exactly what he did or didn't know about Jesus. But we do know in Acts 19, when Paul comes back to Ephesus, he finds others. He finds other apostles, or disciples, he calls them, disciples who did not know the, the baptism of Jesus. In fact, he said, have, have you received the Holy Spirit once you believed? And these men in chapter 19 kind of said something like, the holy who? <laughs> the what? What are you talking about? And this, this might have been something like Apollos. He had knowledge, but... It wasn't complete. He didn't know everything about Jesus. I, maybe he didn't even know he had risen from the dead, but he, he certainly probably did not know anything about the Holy Spirit coming, about the Holy Spirit's uh, presence in the lives of individuals now in the time of the New Testament. And so he was preaching, but he was preaching with incomplete facts. He only had part of the story. But it says, but he preached with power in the meeting place. He preached with power in the meeting place. And so we read on and we meet another couple. It says this, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and told him the rest of the story. Well, who are these folks, Priscilla and Aquila? We meet them a little earlier in the first part of this chapter. It tells us that they were originally in Rome, lived in Rome, but were kicked out. When Claudius, in, we were told by historians in the year 49 about, kicked out the uh, Jews from Rome, they were some of that group that was kicked out. Not necessarily because they were Christian. We don't know if they were Christian at that time, but they were Jewish. So they had to leave and they went to Corinth. While they were at Corinth, they found a friendship with a man named Paul. 
Now, we don't know if Paul converted them or if they were converted before then, but we do know they, they hosted Paul. We do know they had the same trades as Paul. They were tent makers. That's very likely how they got connected with the apostle. And we do know they were very hospitable. They took in Paul. We do know they, 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 they let the church meet in their homes. It was just the kind of people they were. It's also interesting that they're always mentioned as a couple when you see them in the Bible. They're mentioned six other times. There are six times here. And always mentioned either Priscilla and Aquila or Aquila and Priscilla together. Usually Priscilla and Aquila, the woman first, which is also unusual. We don't know what that means. It might mean maybe she's of a greater social status or economic status than Aquila was before they got married. Maybe, maybe she came to know Christ first. Maybe she was just the more dominant personality. Maybe she was the one who could teach better or speak better than, than Ben. I mean, Apollo <laughs> or Aquila. Maybe she just had some gifts that he didn't have. But it says here that they took him aside. That's a beautiful picture of a couple. A beautiful a picture of correction. You know, they could have stood up when he was preaching in the meeting place and said, hey, you got your facts wrong, buddy. <laughs> he could have said, hey, you're, you're, you're messed up. You're, don't lead people astray. No, it says they took him aside. And I can imagine this conversation. I bet it wasn't. I, bet, I don't think it started with, you know, you really don't know anything, do you? <laughs> do you realize you're leading people astray? I think this conversation probably started off with, wow, do you have a gift for preaching? Wow, are you eloquent. Oh, my, do you know the Old Testament? And your understanding of John the Baptist, you, you must have followed him or known people that did. And then, you know, there's a little more. Do you know what happened next? <laughs> it says they told him the rest of the story. They share with him the good news of Jesus, resurrection, of the Holy Spirit. Because they saw a gifted man. They saw someone with talent. They saw someone with skills. Somebody who could be used in the church. And they had been with Paul. They had spent a year and a half in Corinth with Paul before they came and he left them in Ephesus when he took off. They'd heard Paul speak. They had they'd studied with Paul. They had learned. And so they were able to share everything that Paul had shared with them to this man, Apollos. They saw a gifted person. Paul would later write to the church at Corinth where they had served for a year and a half when he returned a while later to Ephesus. He, he was in Ephesus after he'd been there for three years, probably uh, most of the time, all the time with Priscilla and Aquila. And he'd worked with them. And at near the end of that time, he wrote a letter to the Corinthian people and he started talking about this giftedness, what it means to be, to be gifted, to, have, to be able to work in the church, to be able to teach. And, and he goes on and, and he starts to share much of what he probably shared with these folks today. And some of that is in the second, 12th chapter of 1 Corinthians. 
In fact, Paul writes a lot, several places, and we'll see those real quickly here, about spiritual gifts, about being gifted. And and we've been talking about using our gifts, and we've been talking about anybody can be used, and anybody who will listen to God can be used. And it's because he gives us these talents. He gives us these abilities. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, he writes this. Now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question, they'd written about some, with some questions. And so he's responding to them about the special abilities the Spirit gives us. These special abilities, these are the spirituals, he notes in this, in this passage. And he's obviously referring to gifts. He says, I don't want you to misunderstand them. Two points here. He says, first of all, these are special abilities. These are spiritual gifts. These are charisma. These are, these are gifts that God gives us. Special. And then he says this, the Spirit gives us. So he says, there's, a, there's God is at work in us, and he gives us these special gifts, but these gifts come through the Holy Spirit. They emanate from God. They're produced by the sole power of God. Make no understanding. Have no misunderstanding about this. This is the spirit of God at work in the church. This is the spirit of God who came and sent off men and women to preach and teach and and to start and begin the church of Jesus Christ. We uh, sang today those words, "The, the church of Christ was born and a spirit lit the flame. Wasn't that a great new song? Love that, yeah. The church of Christ was born. The spirit lit the flame. It was the spirit of God moving through these people, giving them special gifts, spiritual gifts, special gifts given by the Holy Spirit that work through Christians, that work through Christians to build up the church, to build up the people of the church. He goes on in verse 4, and he describes it a little more. He says this, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. Paul's letting the folks in Corinth know here, there are different gifts. You know, when he writes, he says, I don't want any misunderstanding here. He's trying to clarify in their minds what it is about spiritual gifts. Why are they important why are they needed? But yet he's saying it's the same Lord, the same God, the same Spirit working in us. The uh, verse 7, he goes on and says this A spiritual gift is given to each of us. So we can help each other. In the end, he says, all these gifts we're talking about, all these gifts of preaching, all these gifts of teaching, all these gifts of service here, what's the purpose of them? It's so that we can help each other. Some of your versions say, for the common good, to build up each other. It also says that each of us has a gift. Each of us. Every one of us have a spiritual gift. This, this charisma, this, this empowerment by God. Every one of you have it, and it is to be used by God. Kenneth Boat says that the exercise of our spiritual gifts in the church is necessary both for the qualitative and the quantitative growth of the church. 
if the church is going to grow both in quality, what we experience in clo- drawing closer to Christ and becoming more like him and becoming a disciple, and in, and in quantity if we're going to grow, it's got to be through people exercising their gifts. And so Paul is laying this out here because he said, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I don't want you to misunderstand this because generally speaking, at that point in time and still today, you kind of sometimes fall on one of two, two ends of the spectrum. We either overemphasize spiritual gifts, and certainly they did here, overemphasized certain gifts, or we neglect the emphasis of the gifts. And they did that there too. They were overemphasizing the flashy gifts, and they were neglecting some of the more important gifts. And so he's talking about this and encouraging them. He says, don't neglect your gifts. And so this morning, we've heard Paul, and you might be wondering, so these spiritual gifts, these things, what exactly are they? Well, you know, Paul talks in three different passages about these spiritual gifts, and we try to categorize them some way. And this this categorization is not biblical, But to help us understand this morning, I I like these three categories that spiritual gifts are generally put in. The first category is what they call establishing gifts. These establishing gifts are used primarily to help start and grow churches. There are the gifts of apostles, which um, most people would say the apostle had to be someone who had, was with the Lord on earth. So maybe that gift is no longer. But the goal, the, the, the gift of prophets, the gift of evangelists, the gift of pastors, the gift of teachers... Incredibly important as the church started, but also very important today. There's a second category of gifts, the, the supporting gifts. It's the gifts primarily to organize and, and to administrate the church so that the church can go about doing its purpose. And again, we see prophecy, which is basically hearing from God and then sharing what you hear. Service, teaching, encouragement, giving, administration, leadership. You know, we, we need each of these gifts. We need people to serve. We need people to teach. We need people who can do administration. You know, it's been interesting over these last few weeks as we've been planning for our um, diversity dinner tonight. And hopefully you, you can be here at 5 o'clock and be part of that dinner. But it is one of, I don't know if there's ever been an event in this church's history that's been better organized and administrated. <laughs> and those of you who have been involved in it, you know why. John Sanders, one of our elders, has got the gift of administration. <laughs> He's got the gift of organization. He's got the gift of, I don't know what all gifts he has, but he has had this thing planned and positions assigned and, and, and meetings to go over to make sure everybody understands what they're doing. But he's got this marvelous gift of administration. And we're looking forward to that tonight. Paul goes on. And comments on this, each of these gifts in the scripture here in in Romans chapter 12. He says this, we have different gifts according to the grace each given us. If your gift is prophesying, prophesy. If it's accordance with your faith, in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, serve. If it's teaching, teach. If it's encourage, get encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. It is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. He's saying whatever it is. Whatever your gift is, use it, do it, because the church depends on it. The qualitative and quantitative growth of the church is dependent on us using our gifts for the common good. We see in Ananias someone incredibly gifted. Incredibly gifted. But you're gifted too. 
And when we look at the news, this, especially this passage here that we just read, I think it, it tells us that sometimes we try to say, well, my, is my gift exactly this? Teaching is exactly this, is exactly this. And I think Paul is pretty much saying, whatever you do, that you do well, that lifts up the body of Christ, that's a gift. That's a gift. Your teaching gift may be different than my teaching gift. Some people's teaching gift is with four and five and six and seven-year-olds. I run from them. <laughs> yeah. Your teaching gift may be entirely different, different styles, different, different audiences, but still a teaching gift. And we may have different gifts that you may say, well, I'm not sure that gift lives in the Bible. Well, I bet it falls under one of these categories somewhere, administration, giving. It's got to be there somewhere. What are you good at? What do you do? In fact, the third quarter is this third category, real quickly, are ministry gifts. These are the ones that are for the ongoing operation, ministry, the ministry of the church. Then we need wisdom, we need knowledge, we need people of faith and, and healing and miracles and prophecy, helps, administration, leadership. And he talks about distinguishing of spirits and speaking in tongues and interpretation of tongues. And so we have these gifts, and I'm I'm encouraging you, you probably have a gift. If you've been, you do have a gift. If you've been, if you've been giving your life to Christ and the Holy Spirit's entered your life, then the Bible tells us that each one of us have a gift. And the Bible tells us that we are to use that gift to lift up for the common good of the church. In Ananias, we see someone who is incredibly talented. He's incredibly talented. But I also notice something else about Ananias. We see somebody who is open to instruction and training. You know, our gifts don't necessarily come ready-made, ready to operate, ready to, or not Ananias. I said Ananias, didn't I? Apollos. These names that start with A drive me nuts. <laughs> Apollos' gift didn't come just ready-made. He had to have some people speak into his life. Last week, we mentioned that uh, disciple must be fat. You remember that? Disciple must be faithful, available, and transparent. No, train, teachable, teachable. Transparency coming up here today. Teachable. Well, I'd also believe a teachable disciple must be hot. Must be hot. A teachable disciple of Jesus, first of all, must be humble. Humble. I see tremendous humility here in Apollos. Apollos did not say, I know it all. God's gifted me. I'm talented. Nobody can tell me what to do. <laughs> I'm so great. I've studied under the best, right? He took his gift and he was incredibly humble with it. He was also very open. Do you know it's one thing to be corrected by someone who you know has studied more than you, who has, who has got more education than you, that maybe has done a lot more than you. It's another thing to be corrected by a couple of tent makers. And that's what Aquila and Priscilla and Aquila were. They're tent makers. They were tradesmen. And they were correcting this man from Alexandria who was well-versed in all the scriptures. It's also, especially in this time, Pretty interesting to be open to the instruction of a woman to a man. But there was this humbleness, this openness. 
in Ananias. And finally, transparent, got ahead of myself. Here at Friends Church, we say authentic. As you read through the next chapter or two in Acts, you see some other folks that came along with gifts. There were talents, skills that tried to pass themselves off and, and, you know, they had some ulterior motives. Maybe we could make a buck out of this healing and casting out demon stuff. (laughs) But not Apollos. He was transparent. Which leads us to the question, so how do I find my gift? How do I find my gift? Over the years, I've seen this diagram uh, put up several, several times. It's a diagram. Do we have it up there? It says, you know, look for where your ability, your affinity, and your affirmation coincide. If it, is there something that you're really good at, something you really love doing, and something people tell you you're really good at? Well, that might be your spiritual gift. That, that might be. Uh, be careful, though, because uh, I may be really good at golfing, I love golfing, and people tell me I'm really good at golfing. <laughs> but it might not be benefiting the church, right? Maybe it can. Win a lot of money on the tour and give it to the church. I don't know. But I think there's another point that we need to go here, and maybe it's with the affirmation. It says this, a spiritual gift, verse 12, 7 in Corinthians we just read, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. So that we can help each other. Is your, is your gift you being used? Are people telling you, not just you're good at it, but wow, that blessed me. That blessed people. That blessed other folks. Your service, your organization, everything you did, it, it was, it's been given and it's helped and it's blessed others. John Piper happened to say, and this is not an exact quote, but he basically said that the problem of not knowing what our gift is our spiritual gift is, is really not the issue. He said the problem is not desiring to strengthen other people's faith. The problem is not desiring to strengthen other people's faith. If you want to help strengthen the faith of those young children in our our classes, then then maybe exercise that gift of teaching. If, if 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 you don't have that desire, but you want that desire to strengthen our young children who love to play basketball, volunteering for Upward is a great way to get involved. If you want to bless others on Sunday morning, and you say, how can I do it? And, 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 I, and all I know is a little bit of technology. We'd love to have you on our technology team. And you can bless other folks. When the lights go out like they did last Sunday, you can be the one to go and turn them on. <laughs> do you want to bless other people? Do you really want to encourage them? If so, I believe God will give you and lead you into the direction of the way you should serve, where you should be going, what you should be doing. There are other ways. In fact, there's another four, four steps maybe you can take, and I would say start here on some things. First of all is study. 
Uh, you know, go to the Word, read everything. We just read all about spiritual gifts. Read all through Acts. See what the Holy Spirit's doing. Pray. Say, Lord, I, I give me a gift. Give me the gift you'd have me to do. Uh, ask others what they may uh, want you to do, or even take a test. You know, there's spiritual gift inventory tests out there you can take. In fact, uh, you can, up on the screen here, you can see. I mean, you go, you Google them on the internet. They're everywhere. Uh, just say to Google spiritual gifts inventories and all these inventories come up, your spiritual gifts. And, and in fact, if you say, I'd like one right now, stop out of guest services <laughs> on your way. Stop out of guest services today. We give this to every member and our member, person coming through our membership class. We say, take this, take it and see if maybe this will spur you on. And so we encourage you, take one, pick it up. They're free out of guest services. But we ask you one thing, once you fill out and find out what your spiritual gifts is, are, would you please share it with us? So we know, so we can ask you to do something. No, <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, that's true. I'll admit it. <laughs> but do you want to bless others? But I found out in the end, there's one more that I think is maybe the most important Nick's experience. Just try it. Or as Nike says, just do it. I love what Theologian Russell Moore says, he says, in the New Testament, we don't find our gift through self-examination and introspection and then find ways to express it. Instead, we love one another, serve one another, help one another, and in doing so, we see how God has equipped us to do so. I got to admit, I don't know that in my life, growing up and even in my adulthood, I, I don't think I ever spent time wondering what my spiritual gift was. I don't think I spent much time questioning, what's my spiritual gift? I was the kind of intended person who tried to jump in and did something and then found out if I was any good at it or not. And if I wasn't, I said, either that's not my spiritual gift or I need a lot more training. <laughs> I need to be like Apollos. I was young adult and Sheila and I, were, you know, even before Sheila and I were married, uh, I would be in church on Sunday morning and Sunday night as we used to be back then. And uh, I, I, I observe a lot. And I observe people and how they do things. And we had a wonderful chorister at our church. His name was Ken. And Ken would lead, and, and he, was, he, was, he was professional in the way he led. And not only would he lead at our church, but other churches would ask him to come in when they had special services. If evangelist was in town, they'd say, hey, is Ken Phillips available? We'd love to have him lead. And he had a beautiful tenor voice, and he would sing. But I, I would sit in the pew for years. I would just notice that when a song was in 4-4, four, four, he would, one, two, three, four, one, two. I said, I can do that. <laughs> and I noticed when if it was a 3-4 time, he'd go, one, two, three, one, two. I, I can do that. <laughs> if it was a 6-6 six, six or 6-8, six, I mean, he'd go, one, two, do, do, do. And so I just, you know, I said, I can do that. I can sing a little bit. And, and so... Uh, after a little bit of time, one of some sunny nights, Ken would want a sunny night off, and they would say, why don't, why don't Steve steer? And I was in high school to start. Why don't he come up and lead on Sunday night? So I'd get up there and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can do that. You know, I can do that. And we'd have a good time. And, and then over the years, I would fill in more and more, and then I was the Sunday night chorister for a while. And then Ken stepped step back, and I think partly out of probably just years of doing it, but partly out of saying there's somebody else behind me who's gifted, he would 
he would lead. I, I never remember ever asking the Lord, am I, am I gifted in this? Is this my gift? It was just, Lord, you're, you're, you're working and you're blessing. And then from there, we started, started contemporary service and started a band and started leading worship with a band. And then we expanded to three services. And so we got two bands and had different services. And, and then at one point, we were in four services on Sunday morning and jumping from service to service and then teaching on the side. And, and I just, I loved being up there. I loved leading. I loved, oh, I loved doing what Seth does. <laughs> I loved it. Except I, don't, I, don't, I didn't do it near as well. I didn't have the guitar. I don't play guitar and stuff like that. I would just, I just got up and I'd lead us and I'd lead us into worship. And we had great growth and God is blessing us qualitatively and quantitatively. And, and so I said, this has got to be, people would come up and say, worship is so wonderful. And, I, and what was interesting about that though is if you would ask me in the early 2000s, could I ever not lead worship and be happy? Could I ever not lead worship and be fulfilled? I might have said, I don't know. I don't know. Until in the late or mid-2000s, 2005, 6, I don't know what year it was, God started placing in my heart a desire to get back into more teaching. And he also gave me a young protege that was in our band, a little bit like Seth. And, and all of a sudden, God was saying, you know, this has been your gift. This has been the area that you've been, worship, you've been ministering. But um, time to step out. And I can say the day that I said I'm done, turned it over to my replacement, never missed it. First day, I thought, oh, my, I'm, I'm going to be in a wreck. <laughs> Never missed it. Never missed it. The question that Sheila and I get asked most when we go back home, people see us, they say, so how often do you lead worship? <laughs> it will be. I said, never. Never have. Never desire to. We've got folks who can do that. God, sometimes it's just jumping in, starting and seeing if God's going to bless this or not. So I would say if it's maybe like Moore says here, some self-examination, some introspection, maybe taking a test is good. But sometimes it's just like, where's the need? Can I fill it? Can I see if God might use me? Maybe I'm not perfect. Maybe someone will have to come alongside and say, you know, you're pretty good, but you can be better. Are you open to training? Are you open to... I can imagine what would have happened with my young protege, Evan. <laughs> if uh, during the years of junior high and high school and all these leagues that he played in and coaches would come up to him and say, hey, uh, you know, you really ought to try this. You ought to really do this. You ought to adjust this. And, and he would say, no, I learned everything I know and need to know from Coach Steer. <laughs> Back in... Uh, Back in instructional league. No, it's not the way it works. God takes us and God hones us. God uses other people. God trains us. God gives us experiences. But only if we are faithful, available, and trainable. Only if we are humble and open and transparent. If we are, I believe God will use you. And once you get used, once, you're, once God uses you in an exciting, powerful way, you're never the same. You're never the same.
You're never the same. What's, what's your gift this morning? Maybe you know what it is. Maybe you can say, boom, 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 God's given me this. Maybe you can't. Let me encourage you. Have you ever thought, maybe if I try greeting, I'll find out if it's what I like? <laughs> um, maybe, I could be a, maybe I could serve in children's ministry. Maybe I'll find out if it's what I like or not. Maybe, maybe you and Pastor Eric can sit down for a week and let me try preaching. <laughs> That's how I got started. What's God doing? How's he moving in your life? Let's stand together as we close in prayer. As you go this week and as we pray, um, you know, the, the, the scripture does tell us to seek the gift, seek a gift. Ask the Lord, Lord, give me a gift and be open to what the Holy Spirit brings to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your, your powerful message. Lord, for, your, for the word that speaks to us. Thank you, Lord, that you are, you are still alive. Your Holy Spirit is still lighting the fire today. Today in this church, in this building. Lord, you are reaching into our lives, showing us new things. using us in creative, wonderful ways we never dreamed were possible. Father, help us. Lord, if we don't have that desire to help other people grow in their faith, to minister to other folks, give us that desire. Give us that desire. Lord, show us what we should do. And then... Bless the work you do to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ. Amen. First Peter 4, close with this, says this. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. This week, go out, use your gift so that God may be praised through Jesus Christ. You're dismissed. <laughs>